Welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the Aqua Map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuis, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery Podcast. Episode 3, The Causes and Many Forms of Addiction. I'm John Dupuy, and this is Doug Prater up uh, with the kind of dark flowery uh, thing going on and with the headphones on. And the big, beautiful, smiling guy is Dr. Bob Weathers. So we all have a piece in this. And uh, we got together, uh, Bob and I, a while back, and we were having these great conversations. And we said, we ought to record this stuff. And then I met Doug uh, through, through, he contacted me at... um, one of the hats I wear as a CEO of iAwake Technologies, I said, this is a great email. And I suggested we Skype and we started a conversation. And it was all serendipity that led us together that we're all interested and informed and practicing. So we started on this exploration together and we've been working on it, you know, and yeah. we all, you know, we, we bring, well, not only our professional experience, but I would say our personal experience too. We've all suffered from this disease and and I, as, as I've talked about a lot, I, I'm uh, severely depressed, suicidally depressed for years and would go through stages for months where I could barely function in the world. And they had me on a whole cocktail of antidepressants and said I was going to have to be on the rest of my life. And I definitely felt drugged. I mean, I felt medicated. And anyway, so, so the, the practices that I was trying to develop for my uh, beloved uh, students who were alcoholics and addicts actually became my own path to saving my life and, and finding my path to what I was really supposed to be doing in the world. And that is, uh, that just changed everything. And so it's very personal. It's very professional. And then, you know, this is integral recovery. And let me just say this, we, we talk about, uh, there are three perspectives that you can take. And I noticed when I was writing my book, that was really nice. It is first person. This is my experience. Okay. Second person, I'm talking to somebody in conversation. I'm not often in my teaching that say, my student told me about this, and I've had hundreds, if not thousands, of stories that I, I keep drawing from. And uh, then the third person is when we start talking about the science, the objective. We know this about the brain. We know this about emotions. We know this about drugs or whatever. So we will just bounce back and forth from these three perspectives, hopefully gracefully and comfortably in an interesting way. But Wait a minute, John. You, you wrote a book? I did. Very good. Where did that book? Um, Ding! Here it is. It's called Integral Recovery, and the tagline is a revolutionary approach to the treatment of alcoholism and addiction. Uh, I have a little stamp. It won an award, the best book in 2013, uh, the best book award for the best uh, book that year in the field of recovery and health, which was like, really? But it is a really amazing book, and even though if I, I did write it, it felt very channeled, so I feel kind of like, I wrote that? You know? So... And as, anyway, as we get into not just addiction, but the higher expressions of ourselves, I think you, you'll realize that Bob, Bob's a wonderful drummer. And when you get into the groove and you're playing, you're being played by the universe. Oh, know? yeah. Oh, and yeah. of course, it, it, it took years and years of dedicated practice and hours and hours and probably years of kind of sucking until you got to that mastery. Yeah. But, but that's what we're going for here, not just getting out of the despair and the pain and the hopelessness of late stage addiction, but also going for the home run continually and being the best versions of ourselves and not just as cheery ideas and thoughts, but as a dedicated pathway of doing that, which we call integral practice. Okay. So anyway, that's a nice way to start this thing. And, and we are kind of going back to where we ended off the last conversation, which you will see 
we were talking with Doug, our, our producer here, about we go off on all kinds of things. And, hey, that's just the way we do it around here. So hope you can follow this and if you find it amusing, if not inspiring. But we're talking about the, uh, the causes of addiction. And before we talked about, you know, the Olds experiments in the 50s and how they really figured out, oh, by the way, newsflash, it's a brain disease. It's not just a personality disorder or a lack of character. It may be all of those things, too. I mean, we all have that stuff, whether we're addicts or not, you know, some degree. But it is a brain disease in the medical sense uh, of the word. And therefore, it deserves our compassion and treatment and medical attention. And doctors need to learn about it and stop being the problem and start being part of the solution. As we know, in, in the last few years, the, uh, especially in the Northeast, but it's happening all over, that doctors have been giving out these opioids uh, like they're candy. And I think I heard like 65% of all the heroin addicts in uh, the Northeast, at least, were, were, were turned on to the stuff by doctors who didn't really know how to wisely work with pain and prescription yeah. drugs. And I have no problem with opioids when they're necessary, terminal cancer, this or that or the other. But it's medicine. It ain't food. And you guys got to wise up to this Hippocratic oath, right? First rule, do no harm. So stop doing harm and then, then join the rest of us and trying to figure out how to do some good. So, in sorry, doctors. That, it, uh, you know, in addition to the physical causes of it, um, it is a lot of that unresolved trauma too. those situations oh. causes people to medicate in that way. Absolutely. The, the point you know, it kills the pain. It's painkillers. And it works, you know, but then... You know, eventually and quite quickly, the pain that addiction produces far outweighs the pain that's being resolved. Rarely, at first, the suffering uh, goes on and on. But we were talking about maybe starting off with some of the causes of addiction. And you, you'd mentioned some. There were like five things, I think, we'd written down in the book. And what were those? Doug? Yeah, uh, there, there are six causes listed here. Uh, one of them is the chemical imbalances in the brain. Um, genetics, of course, plays a factor in that in epigenetics. Another is unresolved trauma from the past. We have the negative stories about oneself in the world, an inability to cope with challenging circumstances in the present, a lack of purpose, meaning, and connection in life. You know, that, that existential despair that I'm sure a lot of us have felt at different times. Um, our relationships, toxic relationships, parents, friends, siblings, lovers, whatever the case may be, Business relationships, problems with a boss or an employee or any of the relationships in our life, really. Between those six factors, there's a lot of things that go into it. And in an integral approach, we're looking at all of that and more as a way to work through it and not only recover from the disease, uh, but become the best people and live the best lives that, that we can through addressing all of this stuff and not pretending that it's a simple solution. I'll say something here that uh, it's kind of evolved for me, you guys. But uh, in my early morning quiet time, I include uh, a component of gratitudes, gratitudes. And uh, John, I think you and I've talked about this is that some while ago, it occurred to me, why don't I organize these gratitudes? Uh, this is the psych head in me. I thought, let me organize these according to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so I started doing that. I do this uh, several mornings a week. I have kind of a rhythm that I follow, so I don't do it every morning, but I start with physiological uh, gratitudes. I start for me, I start with sobriety uh, and my health and exercise and diet and uh, sleep. <laughs> and uh, I, I express gratitude for all of those in terms of how those afford me 
the other the other levels of Maslow was a psychologist who looked at motivation theory among other things and said that we're motivated by different orders of needs and so the most foundational it's a pyramid the most foundational is physiological and the others follow from that and as you were just reading John's list uh, I was relating that to Maslow's hierarchy is that all of those needs that John names in the book are are or the, the gratitudes that I give in the morning all of those are related to both addiction and sobriety. And so you can look at my addiction. I think it's important to look at addiction, especially uh, early on from a medical or a physiological perspective. Unless, unless I get physically sober, unless I'm yeah. physically clean from the chemicals, all bets are off for everything yeah. that's a higher order need, according to Maslow. So relationships don't matter. In fact, trauma doesn't matter. If I can't breathe, my trauma is irrelevant. Right. If I, you're I starving to death, you know, you're not worrying about your screwed up relationship with your yeah. papa. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, it's not to diminish it. Uh, in fact, years no. ago, I had a student who did his dissertation on this, working with head trauma victims, and he said, biology has priority, psychology has supremacy. The idea that the more complicated we get, the further up we go, yeah. those things have more and more uh, importance, but they're basically based on, they're, they're based on the prior needs. And so all the way up through existential, what did, what did Jung say? That addiction is a poor foreign substitute for God. It's yeah, absolutely. It's what we do in the absence of a relationship of, to, uh, to purpose and meaning. But I, I like the way that you've laid it out. I'll just stop with this. I like the way that you've laid it out, John, in terms of the whole spectrum of developmental needs from the basic need for, for physiological stability to emotional security and having a home, warmth, food, those kinds of things following into relationships, looking at how we get our needs met by being effective in the world with our work, and then looking into spiritual and existential levels. And I, I think sometimes what happens is what Ken Wilber calls a part, well, actually, Socrates called it, and Ken Wilber picks up on a part-whole error, is that if I'm an existentialist, I'll see addictions only through existential lenses. Or my dad was a biological psychiatrist. Dad saw addiction completely in terms of Wilbur's upper right-hand quadrant. The rest didn't really matter. Dad was, he reduced everything down to a medical dimension. It's not that it's not relevant. It just neglects the other perspectives. And yeah, it's just a part of it. It's definitely, yeah. a definite part. But, yeah. and, and Ken says that, that we tend to err in, and we're right about what we affirm, but we tend to err in what we neglect. Exactly. Like everybody has a piece of it. Yeah, and, exactly. and as we get into the interlocal yeah. map, we'll be able to see yeah. how this really gracefully begins to weave all this together in ways that were never possible before. And it's just, it's astounding when you finally get it. Oh my God. You know, growing up and, and, and going to traditional universities, I mean, the, the departments didn't talk to each other. If you were this or that major, you didn't hang out with these people except anyway, in, in some yeah. circumstances. But yeah. Um, yeah, very interesting. And we're going to see how this all begins to hang together as, as we continue this journey together. John, uh, let me say, let, John, let me say one other piece. I just, sure. this is like a seed that I'll put out there. I think I shared in the previous uh, meeting that I'm reviewing again really closely the big book in AA. It's been uh, kind of the backbone of my uh, uh, early recovery for sure, my involvement in AA and working the steps. And one thing that I was struck by, I wasn't planning on this, but this morning's reading was, it was uh, completely unambiguous, is the basis of understanding addiction as, as, as a spiritual condition. That's, and that's the, the exact language that's used in the big book. And there you have it, is that it's a wonderful embracing and acknowledgement and, and a methodology that follows on what do we do to right that which is wrong or absent, namely our spirituality. 
And so it's wonderful in terms of what it affirms. But as we talked about in our last meeting, what gives less attention are things like trauma or biology. Uh, we can go down the list in, in terms of other aspects that maybe get less emphasis. And I think that an integral perspective in this way is additive. It adds so much to what may be available from, from a, a more limited perspective, whether it's us talking to people that only see addiction in spiritual terms or people that only see addiction in terms of biological terms. It's like embracing of all. And some people see addictions uh, simply in, in terms of, of collective experience and, uh, you know, tribes that have been taken off their land and, you know, yes. taken oh, from yeah. their culture. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. and it's yeah. super valid. And, it, and some of it's so compelling. You read it, you go, oh, yeah. I didn't That's realize, it. yeah, yes. but there's all this other yes. stuff, too. Right. So, uh, yeah, I read a, a neo-Marxian uh, uh, mm. uh, investigation of addiction. They made this really, really compelling story. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's really true. Yeah. However, all the other yeah. stuff is, is yeah. still... It's uh, as much part of it as it ever was. And let me say just something about spirituality because we go there a lot. And with 12 Steps, a lot of people have problems with it because it's really kind of overt religiosity. You know, you have the book, you have the prophet, you have the meetings, you have, you know, and they say it's not, and you pray and talk about God and 12 Steps and all this. That really turns people off because a lot of us have suffered really abusive, awful religious experiences from our, our parents or for churches or cults or gurus. I mean, there's all kinds of alligators and that's yeah. wrong. And sure. so you, you get here, you talk about spirituality and your eyes were roll. Well, let me say what, what happened here when our house was a, a treatment center for about eight years, we get guys, you know, I mean, sometimes not even through it, just the first few days of coming off the drugs and they would be just exhausted. And we would, uh, we'd go up into our meditation room and we would do the, the, the brain entrainment meditation for an hour. Can you imagine in the morning and an hour in the afternoon? I mean, it, getting addicts to meditate for two hours a day is something of a, a miracle. Uh-huh. You know, getting non addicts to do that. I mean, and they would be laid out on the cushions and their headphones on. And then, you know, then about five or six days in it, they'd be sitting up. And then after about two weeks, these guys would have this beautiful you know, legs crossed and, and doing, doing the work. And what I noticed is that after about two weeks of doing this intense internal meditation, that the whole conversation about spirituality would change. Mm-hmm. They go, okay, I get that that priest or whatever, that was something else. That was religion, call it what you will, but that's not what I'm finding in here. Okay. And so there was immediate shift from a first person. Oh yeah, this is mine. And maybe those bastards try to take it away from me, or maybe they didn't even know it existed themselves or whatever that was. But but this idea of spirituality being a connection to your deepest essential self and also being about your own personal path and meaning and how you connect to the whole and all that stuff became a really exciting, cool conversation beyond the mere theoretical into, yeah, this is what we're beginning to experience. And I noticed that, I mean, they maybe still had anger about the abusive or, you know, the non-effective things that we're forced into, mm-hmm. but the conversation really started merging and being about a personal thing that was going on right there with us yeah. in, in that community. AA did a really great service to the world by recognizing and acknowledging the spiritual tools that we have at our disposal to get through this. But for a lot of people too, certainly myself included, that was a huge obstacle. I struggled with traditional religion and the religion I was raised in for a long, long time. I looked for answers. I had developed a belief about what it meant to be religious, which I would later learn um, and, and put in perspective of 
the stages in the aqua model, but looking at finding a spiritual solution to my problems did not work for me initially. And the way they presented it too was, um, and I imagine this is largely dependent on the community you're in, the particular group you're attending, and the individuals within that group, but was all very um, fundamentalist Protestant in its presentation of these things. And part of the beauty of, well, first of all, that's one of the reasons that I struggled so much with it is because I was searching for answers and trying to accept a solution that did not fit my evolving understanding of the world. And, you know, I had to, I had to reframe what spirituality could be, which was a brilliant and, and beautiful journey in and of itself, one that's still very much ongoing, by the way. Uh, um, that's, that's really one of the best things that integral recovery can bring to this, too, is a different understanding of what that spiritual component means and how that journey unfolds as an individual connection to it. And I think it's important to encourage that continued growth and, and exploration, regardless of traditions that you were or were not necessarily raised in. It has to be personal for it to reach uh, a recovering addict. Yeah, I, Doug, I want to dive in here. I, I have to tell you guys, I actually, somehow in my distorted early recovering mind, came to assume that my having to kind of yield to this, what you just call Protestant fundamentalism, I felt like that this must be some kind of penance I had to pay because it was abject suffering for me. I review it now, and I think it was the single greatest barrier to me, and you and I aren't alone in this, Doug. I came to realize that looking at something as a penance probably wasn't going to be the carrot I needed to really sustain recovery, but it was a huge impediment to me at the beginning. And I really did think, is this God's joke on me that I have to do this shit in order to make it to recovery? And thank goodness there were other resources that came about, including personal relationships, interestingly, within the program as well as other resources. I found uh, Buddhist recovery uh, through Refuge Recovery very helpful, and also John, our relationship to be introduced to integral recovery as a compliment. But early on, I felt like this is, my, this is really my worst nightmare, and this must be the price I pay for having been an addict, is having to submit to something that feels so ego-alien to me. And really, as I think both of us are acknowledging, is associated with a fair bit of collective trauma that we were on yeah. the receiving end of. So we're right into something, I think, that it's no accident to me that at the end of a year, oh boy, what's the statistic, you guys? How, what's the percentage? Is it 5% or 10%? At the end of a year, people going back to 12-step groups, it's down to that amount. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a low statistic. It's and really I, sad. And really my sad. interpretation of that is at least some significant part of the variance is related to what we're talking about. I could be wrong about that, but that's my intuition. Is you have a lot of people that aren't being, they don't find containment within the limitations right. of condition. So it either needs to broaden or maybe to embrace other uh, adjunct means like what we're talking about right now. I think it's a huge problem. I think I get, I get worked up about this, you guys, because people die because of this bullshit. And that's not okay with me. The bullshit being? The bullshit being a narrow container in which you have to fit. And if you don't fit, then you're not taking your recovery yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah, that's just yeah. a, that's a, it's a mind blank. Absolutely. I mean, I just yeah. really struggle with that. 
Yeah, yeah and, and, that, and that's part of part of what the integral map allows us to do. It really allows us to look at something and really bring forward the good things yes. and leave behind the not so good. It doesn't mean you have to eat the whole enchilada when you know it's there's half a mouse there. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sorry, I just had a, a mouse experience. That I won't get into, but you know, so so you bring forth the good and honor it. You know, and a lot of people that really criticize AA, I just don't say, well, um, I'm going to say a bad word, but I won't. I said, well, how many lives have you saved lately? Yeah. You know, AA's been yeah. saving a lot of lives for decades yeah. now, you know, so as imperfect as they are, you know, what the hell are you doing that's so great? You know, and maybe they are. I don't know. I was thinking about, you know, I said, I'm not an active depressive. Well, I was smoked cigarettes for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my, my heroin addict students says, you know, heroin's a bitch. But cigarettes are almost impossible. And cigarettes are killing more uh, people than alcohol and, and all these other drugs put together. You know, that's it's a right. really serious that's problem. Right. That's and right. maybe the thing is, you know, you don't smoke a cigarette and become a crazed maniac and go out and kill people. But it separates you from others and it becomes more dependent. It screws up your lungs. I mean, how are you going to be vital if you can't breathe, you know? John, you I just move? came across a statistic recently <laughs> that uh, one out of 10 uh, American adults are addicted to alcohol and other drugs. But if you open it up to include nicotine, one out of four American adults are addicted. And so it's an interesting Jeez. thing that we ignore is the impact of nicotine. You're absolutely right in terms of the Center for Disease Control will give us statistics on that, is that more of us are dying from nicotine firsthand or secondhand smoke than anything else. But that's a, that's a crazy statistic, isn't it? One out of four of us as adults in this country are addicted to alcohol and other drugs, including nicotine. Yeah, you know, and when we had an addict, our house became a treatment center here, it's like being a recovering smoker. I mean, I'm so disgusted with smoking now. You know, that's the hope uh, that, you know, eventually your addiction becomes something. You just you, I see a young person smoking and want to stop the car. Give me that. You realize what you're doing? I don't know. But anyway, uh, I didn't want to be around it. I didn't want to smell it on people's clothes. I didn't want it to be in my house. And so, so if you're going to come here, you because a lot of treatment centers, you know, my you know, they have their smoking breaks and everybody's yeah. out there. You know, it's like sending soap signals. Uh, at, but at we said no. At the same time, yeah. I'd like to add that uh, shaming and ostracization of those people is not the best way to get them to quit. Because, yeah. you know, like a lot of other things, it just fuels the problem. I agree with you, but, you know, you work with it in other ways. Sure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, I actually never did snatch cigarettes out of little kids, you know. Oh, no, you did, John. You I, didn't, I didn't. I thought about it. I still think about it. And, and the other thing, the other thing is I was in a damn religious cult from the time I was 14 to my early 20s. Yeah. And you talk about an addiction. And, of course, that saved me from my tendencies to want to do a lot of drugs. But I finally left. I think I was 22, 23, something around there. I spent eight or nine years doing this thing. And a lot of people... They can't, they go, they go out in the world, they leave that structure, you know, you're the one, this is the message, we're the inside crowd, you know, and it's all about giving up your own personal direction and doing whatever the authorities say and all this stuff. And that there's a certain comfort in that. And a lot of people go back in the world and say, okay, now you got to get a job. And, you know, since you've been in a call, what do you know how to do? Uh, Not much. And they can't handle that just kind of alienated life that a lot of us live. And so they end up going back and they end up dying in that. And then a lot of the kids that were raised in that are so abusive and awful, they become drug addicts and kill themselves. Anyway, it's just a, this vast area of, that we could explore at some point about our cults. You know, are there religious cults? Is that also religious addiction? And I would probably say it seems to be in a lot of ways. So, I like our opening it up this way, John. You know that my partner Colleen and I led a group when we moved down to Orange County, led a group out of our home 
for a good solid year. And we just called it recovery for everyone. And the, the presupposition is that some of us are cult members, some of us are cigarette addicts, yeah. some of us are porn addicts, some of us gamble too much, et cetera. But it was like to open up the door. You know, there's a statistic that also came out that, that if one out of four of us are addicted to substance in this country, a recent study said uh, 90% of those that completed it acknowledged having at least one behavioral or so-called process addiction. And, uh, and then that opens up for all of us, because I'm pretty sure the other 10% lied. <laughs> so that means we're all addicted. There's not a one of us that doesn't know about addiction in some form or another. If it's not substance-related, then it's process-related. So, yeah, yeah and, ju- and just because you can become addicted to something doesn't mean that that thing which you're addicted to is necessarily evil. Mm-hmm. I mean, I said, you know, I'm not telling people to be teetotalers. If you can drink, drink. Good for you. It's probably good for you. A couple glasses of red wine, all that stuff. If you can't, though... Yeah. You know, if the wine drinks you, then you probably can't do it. It just takes honesty and humility yeah. to recognize it. People become addicted to sex. Should we stop having sex? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, you know, take a break for 10 years, bring the population. I'm kidding. No, it's an essential thing, but it's your, you, the right relation. You can't have a food addict stop eating. Yeah, John, I love what you're modeling right now. And I feel like the three of us have the capacity to do this, is that there's a kind of rigidity that can infect any movement, including... Yeah the so-called recovery movement, and I'd like to humanize it very much in the spirit of what you're suggesting. I don't want to demonize any particular behavior or any particular substance. I, I, I know that early on there was more of black and white for me, so I own up to that. But over time, I don't want this movement to be seen as somehow, um, would it be kind of this radical? I've, in fact, I have to tell you, I had an early stumbling block with the word sobriety around this. Like, I ever aspired to be sober? It's like a death sentence, right? (laughs) I I recently looked up the word sober, and the Latin roots of sober really come from not inebriated. Sobra is inebriation. And so it's very specific to that, but that's a different different vision. I I don't want to be sober in my life if sober means being joyless, if it means being without blood, without passion. So is there a way that we can have what you're talking about, Dom, which is a capacity to embrace all kinds of diversity and acknowledge where there's certain places we can't go. I need to be literally sober, but I have no intention. Maybe that's sober with a small S. I have no intention of being sober with a big S. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're a seven on the Enneagram. And just to talk uh, about that, it just, yeah, I had we'll, to bring that we'll, up. We'll, 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 we'll talk about that. But you know, but, but you're talking about the rigidity and the black and white yeah, thing. Yeah, I think that's yeah. developmental. I think in the in the early stages you can't. Well, there's many paths to sobriety. You know, it's like when you you know you just found Jesus or something. You know, yeah. have you talked to a Sufi lately? Should you yeah. try Buddhism? It's like you kind of got to get just yeah. get established in that. And then as you grow, you begin to see there's more perspectives and there's more ways. But in the beginning, there maybe there's there's actually something beneficial in um, in, in kind of that discipline and just like yeah. keeping it down to the basics. Yeah. You can't drink today and then. The way the New Testament talks about spiritual milk, that we absolutely right. we all start with milk. It's absolutely necessary to build bones and structure. And that spiritual meat, which I hope is what we're about, uh, never excludes spiritual milk and the necessity of it, right. the absolute essential nature of it. So, yeah, they're both necessary. Well, cool. So where, where, what was the plan again, producer? We did have a, uh, yeah, an idea. Um, a structure. We're, we're like the cats in the, in the, <laughs> keeping the kittens in the box. And there goes Bob. Here goes John. <laughs> what we're doing this episode is uh, you're talking about uh, causes of addiction. Um, and yeah. How about so, sober kittens and happy cats? 
How do we want to get these kitties back in the <laughs> basket? <laughs> so as you can see, uh, this is a, a very deep and almost infinitely deep uh, question. Somebody was talking to me about the, the integral map, which we haven't been touched on yet, basically. And they said it takes X amount of years to learn it because the more you look, the more you see. So this conversation that we're having, it can progress through several lifetimes, I'm sure, because not only are we discussing it from our past lives and our, our current lives, but we are also continuing our own practice into our own depths, into our own purpose and our own connection to our ultimate grounds of being and what that means to be an individual in the world struggling to be the best person, the soberest person, the wisest, the happiest, authentic happiness, which is a great term to, to learn about recovery. It's not, it's not the counterfeit. That's really wild for a while, but then it goes to hell. And what we need to learn is, is authentic happiness. And we think we're really on this journey together. And we found a way to, to get on that path. And there's going to be sorrows, and we embrace the sorrows and the darkness. A suffering embrace leads to nobility of spirit and compassion and wisdom. You know, So that's what we're here to do, not to, to avoid it and pretend it's not there, but to embrace it. And through that, we come to true, true peace and true joy and ecstasy in our moments of flow and creativity and sharing and our, our individual paths through and to and being all that is. So uh, thank you guys. It's yeah. been wonderful again. And thank you all who are there. And Doug, do you want to, there's anything you need to tell people about how to yeah, connect um, with us or anything at all? If you, if you enjoy the discussions that we've been having so far, if you would like to continue to participate in our conversations and the journey of integral recovery, uh, subscribe to our podcast, stay tuned for next time. Um, be sure to ask any questions. We will answer what we can and maybe even address some of these in uh, future episodes of the podcast. So please connect with us, say hello, and we can't wait to talk to you. Yeah, and if you okay. give us your, your emails, we can let you know what the next uh, session is going to be of the next podcast. And we'll have times that are live where people can show up and they can talk to us and ask questions that we can discuss together. This thing, this we're using Zoom so we can get a lot of people in here. Or we have guests down the road, the people that have pieces of the puzzle, or maybe are looking at the whole puzzle or the whole model together. So it's going to be really exciting, and we hope it's inspiring to you guys. And uh, I'm committed to keep on practicing, and we'll be here next week. So right on. Uh, deep Great. respect and love. Namaste. All right. Out here. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.